what's out there. That's why I'm a girl. Hi, and welcome back to Wild Dream, where we give you the freshest takes on the latest movies. My name is David. My name's Daniel, and I'm feeling sultry, and I'm feeling sexy and soulful. And we just saw... And sensual. <laughs> we just saw how they ran. We saw it. We just saw See How They Run. Speaking of seeing how people run, you remember the uh, the girl in Taken? Do you remember how she ran in Taken? Yeah, I do remember. The daughter? That was like very like <laughs> the very famous scene of her horribly running. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's what you thought about the whole movie? <laughs> You were like, I was hoping that leave me. I was hoping that's what we were gonna see. I was gonna see how they run and just show famous scenes of people running badly. I thought this was the Jesse Owens documentary. We, we just, just saw, saw how they ran. See how they run. See how they run. Uh, spoiler alert for this movie: they. I don't remember anyone running. Maybe like <laughs> twice. Yeah. It was. If anything, it was more of a brisk jog. A brisk jog. Brisk jog. I'm sure yeah. by the end of this, I'll like. It'll come to me like, oh, that's why the movie. That's why it's called that. Yeah. I'm. If I were to guess, I would assume it's some kind of reference to like an Agatha Christie thing. I don't know. Maybe. I, the only. We'll find thing, out in part two. <laughs> yeah. The only other thing I can think of is like the theater run. Oh yeah. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so spoiler free talk. If you. Love Wes Anderson. I think you'll love this movie, and and let me tell you why. That there were a lot of moments in the movie where I I was like, this looks just like a Wes Anderson movie, and I like it literally leaned over to Daniel. I was like, because Daniel chose the movie for this week, I had no decision on this. We would have seen Woman King. Yeah, he would have to see the Woman King. Of course, uh, he's a he's a woman stan. He's a big woman stan. I love um, Viola Davis. I mean, <laughs> she is just a queen. We have seen that trailer fifty million fucking times before all these movies have been seen for the pod. I still remember you're asking me to take them to war, war, and then she says. Some things are worth fighting for. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's we we got to the point where we memorized the trailer. So so um, <laughs> you know, and when it comes to that movie, you know, maybe we'll do like a Patreon episode for that. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, if we had a Patreon, we would definitely do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, my yeah, the first like like that's that movie came out this weekend. My first impression was that movie was oh yes, please let's keep capitalizing on other people's cultures by making movies in English. Like, <laughs> just yep. like so sick of that shit. But uh, no, we. I mean, Daniel sent this to me. I hadn't heard anything about see how they run, and I was like, okay, I'm down to go see it without knowing anything about it. Um, and so yeah, so literally at a certain point, I was like, Dan, did, did Wes Anderson make this movie? <laughs> like, I, I can't, he was like, no. And to his credit, he said, I mean, check the aspect ratio. I mean, that alone tells you. <laughs> Yeah, it was a normal aspect ratio. Um, I can see why the pacing was very fast um, and it was very whimsical and um, Adrian Brody was in it. <laughs> so, Well, yeah, it's like the, the, com- <laughs> the comedy uh, was very Wes Anderson. Like, I like, of course, I mean, he's like, listen, let, let me just, just share my grievances, okay? I like Wes Anderson. I think he's a great director and I like the majority of his movies. Right. And I actually do genuinely believe he's a great director. However, what I don't like is people who like Wes Anderson. <laughs> and that's so fair, that's fair. I hate to be the guy who's like, this looks like Wes Anderson because it looks good. Like and, and like show him all this you know, love and praise. Like if you like Wes Anderson, that's fine. But if Wes Anderson is your favorite director, then you and I might not have the same interest in movies. Right. That makes sense. So. I thought that the comedy in this reminded me of Wes Anderson a lot and the color and the way that it was shot and, you know, all those different things. But of course, you know, it didn't have that elevated level of like symmetry that he is, you know, really famous. Right. For. And it was this movie also was just so like professionally filmed, I guess. It didn't, yeah. it didn't seem it looked digital. You know what I'm saying? It didn't look like it was shot on a. Panavision. Uh, uh, give me some uh, terms. <laughs> Panavision. <laughs> Panavision, you know, that's what I was going to say. And so, um, yeah, I definitely got that vibe. Uh, this movie was uh, very bouncy. Like, and I think that I say that just especially because of the score. It's just very bouncy, kind of silly jazz. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess before we get into spoilers and stuff, I would say this movie um, – was one of the most average movies I've ever seen. <laughs> That's um, fair. It just, I, the humor was, you know, fine, but it was kind of sprinkled 
few in between and stuff um, and repeated a lot. It was the same kind of joke a lot. Um, and then I also think that it, it really did reach a lull. I was I remember there was a point there was a whole stretch where I was just like, oof, I am pretty bored. Um, especially because you know what's going to happen. It's very clear um, how it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think, Dave? Um, well, I just want to say that because we didn't even say this, this movie is a murder mystery movie. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's set in the 1950s. Um, and it's, you know, it's very similar to other murder mysteries. Now, you know, the thing about murder mystery movies for me is I, I really am a sucker for them. Right. So like I, I, I love Knives Out. Like that was like one of my favorites. And then, of course, The Hateful Eight is a not necessarily a murder mystery, but definitely a whodunit as they reference, you know, in this movie. So, yeah, um, this movie is very meta in in that way that, you know, it, it pokes fun at whodunit movies while being a whodunit movie. But as, although I am a sucker for them, and I really do love them, and I like watching them, they're very entertaining. Just like with Knives Out, which is probably one of the best whodunit movies that I've seen in a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. As great as it was, it falters from the same thing that every other whodunit movie is: is that the rewatchability is nothing. Like, like the like it like when I'm thinking of like the score that I'm giving for a movie, that's one of the things that I, you know, you know, and it take into consideration. Yeah, take into consideration. I mean, Daniel does too in his own way, you know, thinking like, would he want to go see the movie again? Not even necessarily could he, but would he want to? And I think that that's, you know, very, a good thing to have in your back of your mind when you're thinking about how good a movie was. And so it's like, you can think a movie was really great, but a murder mystery movie has almost no rewatchability, right? Right. Because they, unlike something like Saw or something like that, that, you know, has a little bit more of that, you know, rewatchability, it's that they show you everything that you miss. So, like, Fight Club yeah. has a yeah. spoiler, but Fight Club doesn't go back and show you everything that you miss, all the, you know, things that, you know, you, you misinterpreted during the movie. So, it has a great rewatchability because every on every rewatch, you can find something new. But a murder mystery like this shows you all those things at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, same thing with there, there's some video games like that, too, where you know what's going to happen. But that replayability, um, seeing some clues you missed and stuff, you know, I think of Resident Resident Evil, uh, uh, the most recent two, they have really good replayability for that. And um, and they have such strong scenes and stuff <laughs> like just such strong scenes and, and moments that you want to see it again. So if it's a, if you have a, you know by the numbers kind of like i said a whimsical uh, murder mystery what what's the rewatchability for what's the scene you have to see again and there wasn't one in this one so yeah yeah and uh, knives out is i did want to mention that cuz you know uh, it was the most recent uh, you know kind of big who done it at least that did well right. um, i know the murder on the orient express or whatever was like just everyone what? hated it it was called like Murder on the Orient Express. Never heard of it. No, I'm, I, don't, I know what you're talking <laughs> um, about, but I'm, I'm the average person. Yeah, no, never heard of that. But yeah, apparently it was dog shit. So, but and yeah, it's, like, yeah. And it's, it's based off of like a very old like whodunit. So, you know, right. It's like it's like making a live action of The Butler Did It. You know, it's like everyone has seen that. It's a very famous play. It's a very famous you know story. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Knives Out did something that brand new, brand new to me. Cause I, and I, I saw that trailer so many times at that, like around when that came out Yeah, so many times. And I was just like, dude, this movie looks so annoying. And same. It, and it, I thought the movie was going to suck. And then my yeah. wife dragged me to the movie and I was like, wow, that I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. Same. I went to go, I went to go see it on break at work one time, uh, around Christmas. But yeah, I was so surprised by how fun it was. Cause it, it does something I've never seen, which is it shows you exactly how the, the person dies within the first like 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And so it's like, where do you go from here? So that, that flipped it on its yeah. head for sure. And then um, uh, the, the opposite kind of thing happened with this movie, See How They Run, because I just saw a quick little like snippet on Instagram of a joke from the movie that made me laugh out loud while wa- like while actually watching it on Instagram. And I was like, oh, well, I really don't want to see The Woman King. I really don't want to see Pearl, um, mostly just because I, I thought X was fucking shitty. We um, hated it. Maybe Pearl is better. Who knows? You know, we'll, I'm sure we'll go see it eventually, um, if not for the pod. But um, yeah, for the um, Patreon, <laughs> for the Patreon, we don't have. Um, but yeah, so I, I, the, the, I don't want to say trailer, but the snippet that I saw for this movie um, was like, oh, that looks fun and just like a chill, easygoing movie. And it was the opposite, where it wasn't as good as it looked in that snippet, and it was a little more dragging and you know whatever. But yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that you know, it, it, there's a running theme of the last three weeks or so, um, you know, pretty much since the invitation. Where hey, marketing matters. Marketing matters. Like, that is something up. we have brought up in almost every episode, you know, so far. Um, since especially since the invitation, like we've shown like really great examples of marketing, you know, where uh, like uh, honk for Jesus and really bad examples of marketing like um, Woman King, which literally turned us off from the movie, which apparently there's controversy for that movie anyway. So maybe we should stay away from it in the first place. But True. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to go into to spoiler talk here. So uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh. <laughs> Fucking spoilers! God damn spoilers! Um, so see how they run. Um, let's let's uh, let's see. Let's see how that, that's never gonna get old. <laughs> um, <laughs> see how they run takes place in the West End of a 1950s London. Plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt after a pivotal member of the crew is murdered. Is that Twilight Zone? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't really work. That is Twilight Zone. Murder, you say? That's how a lot of people talk. I love fun old British accents. I'm not going to lie. I was wondering. I was wondering what you were going to think of the accents in this movie in general, just because it's you have a combination of 1950s accents and then British accents. Yeah. And then whatever the fuck the detective was doing. Yeah, he was like a... he. It almost like I was waiting for him to... Yeah, I don't know. I thought he had to reveal that he was American. Yeah, like a deeper history or whatever. But it was fine enough that he just sounded he sounded like someone who didn't want to have a British accent, but does like that's how I would explain it. It's like he was annoyed that he has a British accent. Like maybe he asked the director, can I just be American? And he's (laughs) like, no, we have to do it like Wes Anderson would. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, but yeah, it was fine. I I, I didn't. None of the accents were bothersome to me, to be honest. All right. Well, there you go. You heard it here. And Shorsha Ronan's accent is so fun. I love I mean. She was the best part of the movie. So right. So this movie starts out with some voiceover, and <laughs> the voiceover goes over um, the fact that there's a play happening, and the play is called Mousetrap. It's an Agatha Christie play. I don't know if that play is real or not. I don't know anything about Agatha Christie. Yes, we're uncultured swine. You know, sue us. I don't give a shit. We don't know anything about this bitch. So uh, everything we know about her probably from this movie now. Uh, <laughs> but I've heard of the name, right? And so it's talking about how this is a play and it's going to be adapted into a movie. And the uh, person doing the voiceover is the director of said movie, you know, go, soon to be, you know, director of, of said movie. Um, and the problem with this voiceover, it actually does suffer from the negative voiceover in writing that too common. One of me and Daniel's favorite writers, Dan Harmon, who's the creator of Community and co-creator of Rick and Morty. Um, he actually Rick and Morty, Pickle, yeah. like Pickle Rick. Yeah, like, that's hilarious. <laughs> Dude, Dude, Pickle Rick. He's I'm, a pickle. I made money. I'm a pickle. Hey Morty. Hey, hey Morty. Hey Morty. I'm a pickle. Oh gosh, you're a pickle. I'm a, I'm, I'm Morty from Rick and Morty. Yeah, I'm fucking Rick. That's funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. And that's how they sound. So that's what's funny about it as well. So like I said, the co-creator is one of our favorite writers, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, Pickle yeah, Dan Harmon. Pickle Dan Harmon. <laughs> Dan Harmon on his podcast, Harmontown, actually had an episode where he talked about writing tropes that he doesn't enjoy, right? And so when we talk about comedies, it's important to bring these things up because these are the things that in the back of me and Daniel's mind. Um, one of those things is voiceover. And so basically what he said was this. He said, don't do voiceover. Just play the, the characters out. Don't have a voiceover of like, that's Joshua. He, everyone hates him. And yeah, he has like an it, annoying personality. And then it's like, and then it cuts to him, whatever. It's like, if the character is annoying and has a bad personality, just have them wearing a cold play shirt. Like, that, you know, that's yeah, it. yeah. I don't think that it's necessary or enjoyable to essentially see the script on screen like that. Yeah. Like, that's how you would describe him, you know, Joshua. And then whatever, you know, not that I'm a screenwriter, but I, I wrote him in high school for sure and, le- and learned a little bit about him. And yeah, I don't think you're supposed to say that's Joshua. He's 26. He's a, he's annoying. His favorite band is that, you know, it's like it just sounds right. like something you, you're reading. And um, that's exactly what yeah. he does. He introduces the characters through this voiceover and then like gives you who everyone is and why they're eccentric and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, I, I, it's it's just poor writing in that way. And also, you know, like like 
I, the only example I have of like proper voiceover is probably Dexter on Showtime. Other than that, I haven't seen it necessary in anything else, and it all does it the way that Dan Harmon spoke about it. So, you know, in this very meta voiceover, he's like talking about why whodunit movies are boring. Yeah, this is where it sort of starts to kind of you understand now that it's sort of a meta experience like, oh, what he's saying is kind of what's happening on screen. I mean, we're, you're watching a movie about someone adapting a, a play to make into a movie and they're pointing out all these things that are happening in the movie you're watching and, you know, whatever. It's um, I told Dave after after the movie, like it made me appreciate adaptation a lot more. One the movie adaptation, not the concept of adaptation. Right, the movie adaptation, the uh, uh, Spike Jones movie written by Charlie Kaufman. It's like that movie. One, it intro- it kind of introduces that m- meta quality a little later and more appropriately, and then they do so much more with it um, than this movie, and it was way more creative. I just like it. it I mean, was, that movie is like a masterclass of script writing. It's so good. So you know, when it when you see this, it's like, well, you have that template almost like not template but like you, that bar has already been raised so it's like uh, this is not you know and we'll talk about later too why some of the things they really do wrong with it um but yeah this is this whole first scene is that is literally one of those well you're probably wondering how i got in this situation right <laughs> well we had to start from the beginning you know like that type of so it's really like cheesy yeah so and, like yeah. it kind of ends the intro with him so he like says at the beginning like you know, the first person to die is the least likable character because then everybody in the movie has some kind of motive as to why they would want to kill him. And then, of course, he is the first one to be killed. And then he says, told you, it's always the unlikable character who, who dies first. And then, you know, title screen, whatever. Um, and, of course, you know, this character, you know, he's the American director and he kind of comes up, you know, for, you know, throughout the rest of the movie because, you know, for, uh, what, 90 percent of the movie, he's the only one who dies. Then we're introduced to these two characters. You have the the, the buddy cop characters, right? right you right. have the uh, the uh, God. What do they call the constable? I think well, that's that's her title. And then he's inspector. Inspector, right? So the detective and the deputy. You know, it's the right. inspector. But there's well, yes, in Great Britain now. Yes, in the 1950s. Yes, 1950s in Great Britain. You cannot right have the war. You cannot have a detective and a deputy. No, you must have an inspector and a. Constable. A constable. 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 Constant bowels, because I'm constipated. Yes. Um. And so they kind of set up their dynamic pretty early on. He's very serious. She's kind of silly and eccentric. And uh, mm-hmm. she, you know, has this notepad that she writes everything down in, which is like, you know, comes with the first, like, like couple of punchlines of the, of the movie, you know. Yeah. And the physical comedy is... Uh, uh, comes in early and it, it worked for me. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't know. I'm not, it's not that hard to make me laugh. So yeah, she literally opens the door and it hits him in the head and I, I was laughing. I was yeah. like, that's funny. <laughs> like, it's just funny to end, like, this is someone that you need to impress, you know, for your career. Uh, and and so, she hits him in the, face hits him the, in the fucking face after questioning him so hard. Yeah. So it was pretty funny. I, yeah. I liked this. Uh, this is when the movie seemed like, oh, okay, it's kind of picking up a little bit. Well, yeah. And then like almost immediately. So he, he's kind of like, uh, you know, taking a, tour of the scene because the body was actually, you know, not just killed backstage, but then also placed in the middle of the stage. And so they're having this discussion about, you know, whether or not he's going to keep everybody and everybody's a, both a suspect and also a potential next victim. You've seen a whodunit, you know, you know, we, we know how this goes. And so, uh, then it comes like, you know, the joke that Daniel saw on, on Instagram that made him want to watch the movie in the first place. Yeah, yeah, this joke was uh, the one that made me want to watch the movie. And not that I needed much of a reason to not see Pearl and Woman King, but yeah, so I saw. <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep mentioning that uh, and watch. They're probably going to be amazing. Both movies are just top notch. That'd be so funny. Um, no, uh, yeah, the it's just a simple joke of her. You know, she's kind of trying to give the inspector a rundown of who everybody is, so that he knows who they are and how they're connected to the person who was murdered. And so as they talk, she'll kind of tell him in his ear, like, oh, this is blank. She's the blank, blank, blank. Um, so the scriptwriter uh, starts to talk to the inspector and she's over. <laughs> she starts talking over the inspector's shoulder into his ear and she goes, this is so-and-so. He's the overrated screenwriter in, in this town or whatever. And then the guy hears that, the screenwriter hears that, and he goes, um, celebrated screenwriter. 
And she goes, oh, sorry, can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> just like, right. and it's just so weirdly innocent, but like, uh, which, which is like her character's thing, know? you know? And, yeah. and so as they start to investigate, you know, they, they do the whodunit thing, right? They go to each person, each person has a motive. So the writer, um, you know, his motive is that, you know, they fought with each other. He actually, you know, again, like a typical whodunit, he said, I'll kill you for this. Because right. what they were arguing over is the script and the director wanted it a certain way. And then the writer wanted it a certain way. They even have like this, this moment of like typical American where he's like, uh, so he, he goes through his storyboard for what he believes the ending of the movie should have been. Um, the director does. And so like, you know, they're doing everything through flashback and showing him everything. And, you know, of course, while he's doing this, we're like, Oh, this is how the movie's going to end because the movie has been so meta up to this point. Just right. the director going really into detail about how he wanted the movie in the movie to end. I was like, Oh, 100%. This is exactly how the movie is going to end. Um, which, you know, we'll get to that. But, uh, you know, while he's doing that, he's like, well, where does the detective even get the gun? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, they're like, they don't carry guns here in Britain. And he's like, well, then how do you stop the bad guy? He goes, how do you kill the bad guy? <laughs> he yeah. doesn't even say stop. He says, they don't. They say stop in the name of the law. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, they kept it from the war or something like that, right? Yeah. And so, like, Which is such a good commentary on both. Like, right. It's like, it makes it paints makes both the, sides seem silly. Yeah, silly. It's just like. Because one side's like, how do you shoot, kill the bad yeah, guy? Not shoot stop and kill. Them. Yeah, shoot and kill and done. And they're like. Um, we just ask them to stop nicely. You know, it, it is kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. And of course that comes up later too, but yeah. And so like a, a lot of the moments that they have in these flashbacks are like really funny. In fact, one of them is a meta point where they are, uh, flash flashing back and he's like, well, how, the, uh, how do you expect me to show the audience what happened if blah, blah, blah. And then the director goes through flashback and then he throws something at him immediately. He's like, no, he's like, absolutely not. And they got back to him in the interview. He's like, flashback is just a terrible way of storytelling. I mean, it completely disrupts the flow of the story. Right. Which, you know, they just done a, a flashback. Yeah. Everything's very clearly and obviously meta. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, when he when he pitches this ending for this little storyboard of, of the ending for what he wants the movie to, to end like, it, it's, you know, right then and there, this is how this movie is going to end, which is what makes this movie a lot less fun is, again, how early they introduce the meta concept. It's like you it's now predictable. And what what fun is a predictable whodunit? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it's like. Oh, well, the trope is that it is predictable. Again, we talk about this all the time. Your intention for what you wanted to do for the movie does not make your movie good because you accomplished that intention. You know, at the same time, though, throughout the movie, the, the movie is still, you know, it found its ways to stay entertaining, right? And, and stay engaging. Um, and part of that, you know, obviously through the humor and then the dynamic between the inspector and the constable is, is probably the best part of it. So they had this moment that I thought that, you know, made me laugh out loud that was, uh, you know, she's she takes notes in her little notepad for everything. Right. And he like even tells her like, Hey, don't, don't jump to conclusions. You know, you make sure you interview everyone. And then she writes down, don't jump to conclusions in her notebook. And so he's like, so do you write everything down in that little notebook? And she's like, no, only what's important. And he goes, well, how do you know what's important? And she goes, well, you know, I'll, well, I'll take, I'll take the information and I'll write that down. And then later when we realize it's important, it'll be in the notebook. And he's like, so you do write everything down. She's like, yeah, yeah. I write everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I was like, that. so like their dynamic is, is a, a big part of it because then what starts to happen is as they're investigating these different people, um, you know, again, she's jumping to conclusions for every single suspect that they talk to. So they, then they go talk to the um, producer of the film and the producer of the film has grudge against him because he had dirt on him that he's sleeping with a secretary, which by the way, if that's dirt, Everyone in this whole movie has dirt on him. No one doesn't know yeah, <laughs> that he's, he's sleeping com- with a secretary. He's completely open about it. Yeah, he's yeah. like, like you know, going worst, on dates with her. And worst he, affair ever. Yeah, worst affair of all time. Affairer. <laughs> 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 yeah, apparently the director had dirt on him because he saw him on a date with his secretary while the director is still married. And so then he made him put him in a nice hotel and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, now the, now, okay, now the producer is as, as a suspect too. Um, and then they go to the owner of the theater and the owner of the theater, uh, you know, he, she 
cause she put something in the contract, which she claims was like a direct thing from Agatha Christie that basically said, you can't start working on the movie until the, the theatrical production has been off the stage for, you know, X number of time. Like I think it was like six months or something like that. And so, you know, the producer has extra motivation to kill the, uh, the run of the show. Right. So because the, you know, what attempted to happen was that by placing the dead body on the stage, they were going to potentially shut the theater down for the murder investigation. And so now, you know, the producer looks even more suspicious, you know, after that. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and as they're doing this investigation, what ends up happening is that, you know, they find out that the director has a, uh, a illegitimate son, from a woman that he met during the war, um, which they keep bringing up, like everyone in this movie was in the war. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but yeah, so they the constable starts to suspect the inspector himself um, to be a the murderer because she uh, gets some information while they're sitting at the bar. And I was sitting in the bathroom <laughs> taking Dave, a piss. Dave was doing his. I was his sitting down to pee. Ritualistic. Uh, Pee break for every movie we see. Yeah, I want to go do, do the pee break after drinking uh, 90 ounces of water <laughs> and, and eating a whole small popcorn. Um, this is about 30, 40 minutes. Of the movie. <laughs> As they're sharing some information about their lives, you find out that the constable um, is a widow. Her husband died in the war and she has two kids. And then she finds out that he has an ex-wife and she is his ex-wife because she was unfaithful. And she was eight months pregnant when she told the inspector that it her, the kid was not his. Well, that's hilarious. I can't believe I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you missed. Dude, the crowd was dying. Dude, there, he oh was like God. eight months pregnant, not mine. <laughs> A- applause break. Yeah. Um, that's what that theater of six people sounds like. Um, <laughs> I was like, what's going on? What happened? What I miss? Yeah, Dave's, Dave's looking for reasons to use the soundboard. Listen, guys, I'm desperate. <laughs> um, yeah, so she starts to uh, suspect him because um, after learning that information, she has to take him home because he gets way too hammered at the bar. She puts him to bed and she sees a picture on his nightstand of him and his ex-wife. And she looks a lot like the way that the wife of the director was described who he had an illegitimate son with so maybe the the inspector's wife was being unfaithful to him with the director uh so she's and she jumps to a conclusion which is right you know even though she she looks at her notebook and everything and it says don't jump to conclusions and so she she still does and um, you know, it's just par for the course for her character, honestly. And so what ends up happening is that they end up going to the play and he's like, you know, the you know, inspector's thinking, well, maybe there's something in the play that's going to you know, tell us what's going on. And during the play, a couple of people leave the theater. The producer leaves the theater. The playwright leaves the theater and the inspector leaves the theater. And then so does the constable. And then they play out the scene where they very much make it look like the inspector has you know gone to go find the playwright to choke and kill him yeah it looks like it was shot intentionally with sam rockwell do- i think doing it 100% what yeah. they did and he like like they make a point of him going back to get his gloves and then he's wearing gloves when he chokes someone out yeah yeah and so. then like the the description of the killer is what he wears which is what everyone in the fucking movie wears which yeah, is yeah like, everyone has a coat and a hat yeah, yeah. which which they kind of poke fun at when they interview you know, the, uh, the Usher. When they interview Usher. When they interview Usher. And he, he actually he gives says, them a... Uh, yeah, yeah. No, he gives them a confessions part two. And so... The, <laughs> this is my confession. I murdered everybody in this movie and it was fun. I just want to do it again. This is my confession. Listen, I know that I'm intentionally putting copyrighted music in here, but that's getting a suit. <laughs> <laughs> So you're saying it sounded good? <laughs> it was on pitch enough to get us yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, he talks to the usher, and the usher gives him, like, yeah, he was a medium-sized man with an average build wearing a hat and a jacket, and he that that was his whole description. 
Yeah, know? worst interviewee ever. Right. Uh, so, and I thought it's kind of weird because, you know, you're talking about the Wes Anderson thing. I was thinking it's funny that Adrian Brody is in this and then all these staff uh, wears those really purple kind of bellhop looking things just like Grand Budapest Hotel. I just thought it was kind of That's what I'm saying. Weird. It has to be inspired in yeah. some way. I mean, the color scheme has to be inspired by, by Wes Anderson. I, I, I refuse to believe otherwise. Gosh, you refuse? I fucking refuse, man. <laughs> yeah, the, part two, we're going to be like, uh, this was not inspired by Wes Anderson. Fuck that, and, fuck that. And, not it's not true. That's literally not true. But whatever, go. No, keep reading. Keep reading. What else did they, what other lies did they say? What other lies did they say? Um, in our part two that we will have in this episode, I promise, I swear, guys. Part two is back. You guys have been asking for it. <laughs> you guys have been begging. You know, You're bringing back part two. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Taylor had mentioned to me, like, as the, you know, our producer of the pod, she was like, do you guys really need to do the part two? And I was like, I think it's pretty integral to to our podcast flow because it, the, the podcast structure is literally what me and Daniel were already doing when we went to go see movies together. And that was always part of it. And then after listening to this episode, Taylor was like, yeah, y'all need a part two. This fucking sucked. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. And it sucks. Cause that was, remember that, that was the favorite, most, the best comment I had read so far for that. Oh, I forgot. For oh podcast, my God. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I and it did up. give a lot of information. <laughs> it really <laughs> did. It was such good context. Uh, and we yeah. fucked but, it oh up. Well, oh, well, fuck hey. shit. I still thought the movie sucked. So that's, look. Um. Basically, listen, this is what we learned. We learned that every joke that we thought was a joke was actually a joke because the creator of the movie is a comedy writer. Right. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh, where were we with this movie? We were talking about Brady. So uh, they, uh. they purposely used Sam Rockwell to, to make it look like he choked out the writer. Yes, that's right. And this was the kind of Scooby-Doo scene where people are coming out of doors as they go into him and... You're watching each person and just waiting. Oh, maybe something's going to get revealed. And so and they start doing this split screen thing, too, which they do throughout the movie, which also felt a little Wes Anderson-y. Yeah, and, and not even, like, to a good point because, you know, I think Wes would do it a lot better. Oh, 100%. The um, symmetry would have been much, much more concise. And it just would serve more purpose than this one did, I think. But, yeah, uh, uh, the constable sees what she believes to be the inspector choking out the playwright and killing him. And then scrambling out uh, through the crowd. And so she has to chase him. I guess. <gasps> Did she run? She ran? <gasps> we saw how, how she run. runs. We saw the. We saw her runs. Don't assume her gender. We saw her runs, dude. <laughs> she had the runs. See how they run, Daniel? She is non-binary. Oh, see how she runs. No, Daniel? I can't learn. I'm old school. I refuse to learn because I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> I said she. I think my comfortability with saying what I want to say is more important than the comfortability of someone feeling identified appropriately. Is that so much to fucking understand? <laughs> Welcome to Two White Guys on a Podcast. We are every other two white guys on a podcast. <laughs> Our favorite movies are Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That's what I hate about it. Like. Our least favorite movies are The New Little Mermaid. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Ghostbusters, the re the reboot. Our least favorite movies are all these movies we haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay, so yeah, he runs out. She she grabs a shovel on her way out and bonks him in the head. Boink. And then we get this really weird, Ugh. unnecessary worst scene in the movie. Yep. Uh, would you believe it or not? It's uh, essentially a dream sequence. We need. We might need a dream sequence. Uh, drop for this podcast because yeah they've been very prevalent in what we've been Here, watching here's a dream some. sequence uh, drop for you ready you don't know what's out there <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's wild dream wild dream and we hate dream sequences love it um, here we go so we have a dream sequence we had a dream sequence in Beast multiple of them boom and we were like think about oh there's a movie about a killer lion would you think oh what are the dream sequences like in that why is there dream sequences in that there is no reason I think so it what got do you cut think? from the podcast too but there was also a dream sequence in The Invitation, which we also disapproved of. And I was like, you know what? We kind of beat it right. horse with Beast. So so now there's a dream sequence in a whodunit murder mystery? Why? I don't know. This, this, beats me, man. This shot sucked. So it, this shot. The, this whole sequence. This whole sequence sucked. The, the filmmaking, you know, technically was just pretty consistent throughout. It was well done, well shot. Everything moved very well. Camera movement was great. Very professional looking. Yeah. Movie. Very good frames. All that stuff. 
And then they get to this dream sequence where the it's almost like a is it is it the afterlife? Did the inspector die that's from like the, the shovel? Yeah, that's like the, what they're trying to do. But it's like no one dies from being hit that weakly with a shovel. Yeah, it's really weird. Like he would have had to bust the back of his head on the ground pretty hard. Right. So I wasn't like I didn't think for a second he was actually dead. But and they then have the, him like in the forest, in the yeah. snowy winter forest, and there's just a bar there where the director who was killed is the bartender, and it's very, it looks, it reminded me of The Shining, that scene in The Shining where he's sitting at the bar alone with the little yeah. ghost bartender or whatever. And, For sure. That's yeah. it's probably inspired by that in some way, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then, of course, you know, he's wearing, like, you know, like a, a 1950s barkeep, you know, vest and everything. Yeah. And he, they have a pretty short conversation where it's very, you know, obvious that the director knows that he's dead and then he had like ends the conversation was like hey was anyone sad and then the inspector doesn't say anything at all he's like yeah figures and then he goes back into this weird wintry forest which and didn't then, look anything like anything we'd seen in the movie yet uh, it didn't, it and didn't. then there's this and the door. editing the oh editing. yeah and like because like what daniel was saying is like you know not only was the the filming started getting bad in this sequence and the acting started getting bad in the sequence, but sort of the editing of the movie got yeah. bad for no reason. They did like 13 jump cuts as with him talking and different reactions. Like it reminded I don't even know what tone it was going for, because it reminded me of like trying to show like these like made for TV type movies or like criminal minds type shit where they try and show someone who's crazy. So they have a bunch of split cuts. Of him saying different lines. Yeah, it was strange. It just... It, it was out of place. Completely out of place. Yeah. I don't know. Get rid of this scene. You know what else is out of place? Every fucking dream sequence has ever fucking happened in any movie. God <laughs> damn it. I'm pissed. In this dream sequence, it ends with him going to a, a door that the usher is like, you have to have a ticket to get in or whatever. And the door... In the fort, the snowy forest reminded me of Scott Pilgrim. Yes, same too. <laughs> I'm like, why, is this, why do I keep getting reminded of other movies? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, That's what happens when you make an unoriginal. <laughs> I guess so. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, like like I said, like I don't, I wasn't even thinking of another movie. I was thinking of a whole another filmmaker entirely throughout the whole fucking movie. So, right. but yeah, I mean, he sees the Italian guy. The Italian guy was clearly the playwright's boyfriend, but he's like playing it off like it's his cousin because like yeah. you know, gay people are not accepted. But the playwright, you know know whatever yeah the the italian guy kind of fits the description of the size of the of the guy and everything so what ends up happening is that the inspector goes to the italian guy's house while the constable is still investigating and all while this is happening all of the actors from the play go to agatha christie's house who i guess is famously a recluse and doesn't really see guests um, because they have an invitation for dinner from her Right. And so it's pretty obvious as soon as they get there that that dinner invitation was fake and did not actually get sent by her because the butler's like, yeah, I'm not expecting anyone and that's not from them, whatever. But then, you know, someone who works for Agatha, I think it's her researcher. Is that what he was? I couldn't tell. What I couldn't tell what he was either, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyways, a guy who's like totally unfamiliar with her work, it seemed like entirely and in, in the, the play in general. Um, invites everybody in and then, you know, the owner of the theater is there. So basically all of the suspects and potential victims are now in this in house same, that yeah. looks like a whodunit house. It looks like the house from Clue. Exactly. Which they said earlier in the movie, they had pointed out, uh, they were talking about one of the plays or something and, uh, they had, they had mentioned, oh, and then all these suspects end up in the lodge. And so again, it's, it's, it's a meta thing to where they, they said it was going to happen earlier and now it's happening again. Um, so it doesn't hit as hard because they told you it was going to happen. <laughs> I don't need to be told. It's, it's yeah. Obvious. So what ends up happening is that while they are getting ready for quote unquote dinner, um, the detective finds at the playwright's house who has a bunch of research for the, you know, the movie. Um, so I keep saying playwright, but he's a screenwriter. He's not a playwriter. Sorry. But just, just, you know, control F find all. <laughs> uh, where I said playwright and just replace with screenwright. Thank you. So the screenwriter has a bunch of research. And so the detective finds that there, that the play was based off of a real story of a little boy whose brother was killed. And, um, you know, then they kind of like went way off the rails with it. And so when they're doing that, you know, the detective realizes who it is at the same time as the constable realizes who it is and goes to that house. So wouldn't you know it? It's the usher. The Usher did it. The Usher did it. That's right. So 
you know, it's it's the least suspecting character as exactly what you expect from a murder mystery. And, you know, it's oh, it's this guy, it's this guy, the Mr. Right. Oh, the, we solved the crime, but we didn't solve the crime because actually the other guy. Blah, blah. And cut back to the house and he gives the whole story. Basically, he, you know, which they also say earlier in the movie, which they also say earlier said, in the movie. How's the how's the audience going to know what like why he did what he did? Um, and the director's like, ah, I don't know, uh, the villain. The villain will tell him. The killer. The killer will tell him everything. And right. so that, that happens. Which is pretty par for the course for murder mysteries. It for is. For the killer to do that. I mean, even Bullet Train had the guy tell them everything. Yeah, like, it's really annoying. <laughs> the yeah. movie. Vengeance yeah. had it too, yeah. Yeah, so basically what ends up happening is that uh, he tells them everything that we just learned on the show Don't Tell, and now we're going to tell as well. Uh Oh, that's that's a good way to put it. Show don't tell, but tell as well. <laughs> if you think your audience is dumb, and so he says, "Oh, I my I was, I was the real life story that the story is based off of, and uh, you know, when my brother was killed, and I thought that the play was going to do right by us and whatever, but instead they just villainize vilify us. So I killed the director to kill the movie. I you know killed. I put him on the stage to try and kill the play." Yeah, I mean, and, and basically what ends up happening, he sits down, and then Agatha Christie actually does come out, and she tries to give him a poison tea, and clearly, you know, fucks it up, and then the butler passes out, and then what ends up happening is that the detective gets there, and the constable both get there, and it plays out exactly as the director earlier in the movie said that the movie adaptation of the play was going to happen. Yeah, just like we all knew was going to happen, so and it doesn't it doesn't hit. Doesn't feel cool and oh, like like he said earlier. Yeah, I was really waiting for that like uh, that once upon a time in Hollywood twist. And it just, that didn't happen. It happened exactly mm-hmm. like they said it would. The only difference is that the constable didn't get shot, but the you know the inspector did get shot. You know because she's supposed to take the bullet for him. But basically, someone throws a Molotov cocktail for no reason whatsoever <laughs> just to start burning someone's house. Just because they mentioned that there was fire earlier. Yeah, uh, when the director was pitching the ending scene. Yeah, she's like, I need to help them out. Let me throw a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> Let me set them all there's on a, fire. There's a but, yeah. killer holding a hostage and a police officer in that room. Let me throw a Molotov <laughs> cocktail in the room. Yeah, genius. Fucking so actors, bro. Stupid. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> anyways, so yeah, he shoots at the. Inspector and the you know takes the bullet and they, they shoot him and then Agatha Christie fucking kills the the bad guy, um, and then they mention this they like <laughs> yeah they show like a flashback right to like um, yeah to uh, well they do it too so they okay. do it, they do it twice they do it twice I remember when they find out that the usher is the killer they flash back just randomly cut to the screenwriter going, you know, this play is based on a true story of a brother who lost his, you know, it's like, right. We saw that. Yeah. They do. They do the thing that we've mentioned in other episodes as well of the going back and showing us everything we've already seen to explain why everything happened. It's like, really, this guy can explain what happened in like one minute without even any necessary backstory. Like, you know what I'm saying? And like, I don't know. I've seen better whodunits where they they explain it much better than that. You know, and that's why I like Knives Out too, because it wasn't necessarily here's what happened; it's here's what's gonna happen. Now I've got you in this, you know, whatever. But anyways, the ending of this movie, you know, was completely foreshadowed, and then the producer of the movie says, "Oh well, good thing the writer's dead because he would have hated to see the explosion and this, for this to play out the same way that the and he like looks back, yeah, that's right, looks back at the camera. That's right. I, I forgot what what made me go ugh. Yeah, so and I was like, I was like, ugh, we get it. They're telling the audience this this is playing out like the way that the director had said the movie was going to play out. Yeah, and that what that reminded me of is like, Shaun of duh. the Dead. So like, there's that famous thing in Shaun of the Dead where you know he tells him what they're going to do to get over his breakup, and that's actually what ends up happening at the movie in the movie right but it's a lot more subtle because like we're gonna come back here we're gonna take a couple of shots but then you know it turns out it's he's shooting a gun you yeah. know what i'm saying and, like, and so it's like stuff like that and so that was really well done and that's like one of the most famous like r slash movie details gets posted every fucking five minutes for <laughs> karma it's like did you know see the child at the dead like that's did what you happens. know when he's flipping through the channel and also through the channels on the tv it's saying what happens in real life but on the tv he does that in baby driver as well right Hack. <laughs> Edgar Wright is a hack. He's a fucking... He tells you what's going to happen in the movie on the TV set as they flip their channels. Um, hey, uh, fucking turn the TV off. Oh, yeah. How about that? No movie. How about I turn the TV off? I didn't see a movie in theater. <laughs> I couldn't afford it. Edgar wrong. <laughs> 
a famous critically acclaimed director, Edgar Wright. Uh, so let me tell you Edgar Wright's problem, okay? <laughs> We're just talking about Edgar Wright now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. We're, it's an Edgar Wright podcast now. <laughs> let me tell you his problem between Baby Driver and Last Night. So just in the movie, we don't need the happy ending. Straight up. <laughs> I don't need to know what happens to the characters afterwards. Speaking of not needing to know what happens to the character afterwards, they do that in this movie. They sure I do. I you're wondering what happened to the character, Dave. I know I wasn't. I really wasn't. I didn't give a fuck about any of these right. fucking characters. And that's a voiceover saying that. I bet you're wondering what happened to so-and-so. It's like, right. oh. Very cliche. Not only are you going to do this, you're going to d- communicate it to me through voiceover, which is already a problem? Okay. Yeah, and then they do the thing at the end of the movie that they did at the end of the play where they're like, now that you've seen the movie, you're an accomplice to murder. So don't go around telling everybody who done it. Wink. <laughs> Wink. And then, of course, she interrupts him. So she she interrupts his meta interruption. Oh, anyways. Yeah. It got too meta. Did By not th- land either. No one laughed. No one... I felt, uh, I felt a shared annoyance by that last scene in that theater with everyone else who was there. Yeah. I mean, what's what's upsetting for me is that I am a sucker for whodunit movies. And so I when I realized that that's what this movie was about, I got really excited. And then it just kind of fell flat. You know, it was pretty mid. Like, the mystery wasn't engaging enough you know what i'm saying like i wasn't i wasn't that like daniel asked me he was like did you guess who it was and the answer was no i didn't and i think part of that is i didn't fucking care like at all yeah you know and i was like i'll just wait for the criminal minds you know twist at the end of this so like yeah i think that um for as well made as the movie is it's you know not in service of a great script it's an okay script i think like Daniel said, it's it's the most average movie I've seen in a long time. And I mean, it's it's just a pretty solid dead set five out of five for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about five to five and a half as well. What was your favorite thing and what was your least favorite thing about this movie? Oh, man. OK, so the least favorite thing has to be that that little comment at the end reminding everyone that the ending was what the director said he wanted the ending of the movie to be. I was just like. I was like, I mean, we all saw it coming from uh, 10 miles away. It's not even just that, you know, when I saw it, I remembered that that's what the director said. But I was anticipating it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's a double down on like, Jesus Christ, I'm not stupid. Oh, my God. Can you please just be normal? Um, I mean, my favorite thing in the movie is just, I mean, the constable. I mean, her whole character is just, she's so funny and so like charming. And, like, innocent, but also, like, you know, not dumb, but, you know, innocent. And and so, like, I, I think that the funniest parts of the movie were her. The funniest jokes were her. And, you know, um, I mean, she carried this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my least favorite thing was the dream sequence. Get rid of that whole scene. Uh, favorite thing about the movie is probably the same. It's just Sorcerer Ronan. But, like, also just the humor. I mean, I think the jokes that they really did try it and swing on they did hit um so you know i even that one where he's doing the storyboard and in the middle of it is a nude picture a new drawing of oh, a woman yeah. <laughs> and he's like oh sorry no that's not you know just stuff like that. that's a good it's just one. like it's so silly and it's funny and it's you know weirdly like innocent and fun so i don't know it worked for me yeah it's it's almost like slapstick in a way I also really, this is really specific, but there was a shot of uh, her running up the stairs right next to the production office, and that shot was just gorgeous to me. I loved that shot. So you saw how she runs? (gasps) That's it, guys. We figured it out. We We said by the end of it, we would figure it out. Um, No, we might actually be able to figure this out in the second part of the podcast, which is coming up next, I swear. (laughs) We promise this time. <laughs> so we're going to go online and look at what other people thought of the movie, see if people agree with the same thing, if they have differences of opinion, and we will be right back. And welcome back to part two. I have found some stuff on the IMDb page. Daniel has found stuff on the Reddit, and we're going to go through them. But for warning... The stuff on both, about as mid as the actual movie was, <laughs> unfortunately. So we did get an answer for the name of the movie on IMDb. The name of the movie is a reference to the the nursery rhyme, Three Blind Mice. It's the third line. Another interesting thing that I read was that at one point someone uh, mentions, speaking of the play Mousetrap, that it's not Hamlet. 
And uh, the play within a play that appears in Act 3 of Hamlet is actually called Mousetrap. Uh, so I thought that was interesting because it's one of the things, oh, I didn't get it because I'm uncultured swine, uh, which is very nice. Um, and then the last thing that I want to mention is that, so during the movie, the, one of the things, justifications for only having one constable and one, uh, inspector, you know, available for this murder case, um, is that there's another, other crime going on in Rillington place. Uh, Rillington place is a re- reference to actual murders and the character in the movie who plays the main character in the play is Richard Attenborough, and he actually played the serial killer on in a play that was based off of the Rillington Place murders. So like they kept bringing that up, and that was like I was like, are we supposed to know what that is? And say like it's more of a reference to Richard Attenborough than it actually is a reference to you know true crime, but in general. But yeah, yeah I, I thought that was interesting that that was a real you know murder case, and that actually had some tie to the movie. So honestly. 90% of the comments uh, in the thread on Reddit for this movie are, it was pretty fun. It was all right. Worth the money. Like, that, like that's Which pretty much. Which is the worst comments to leave on Reddit. If you're, if you're going on the Reddit, just leave, keep that to yourself. Yeah, why even comment that? Uh, yeah, very true. But anyways, this one kind of dove a little bit more into some of the stuff we were talking about. Um, someone said, this movie could have used a whole lot of subtlety. Playing around in a sort of meta way of, oh, which way are we going to go with this, was a fun idea, but it lays out what it's going to do in such a blatant way that it's not a rewarding watch. None of the characters are good, except Sorcerer Ronan. That's the actress, not the character. Idiot, dude. Yeah, we would never make that We would never do that. Um. (laughs) Yeah. None of the characters are good except Sorsha Ronan, but her character has maybe the laziest jokes attached to her. I disagree with that, but it's fair. There's probably an argument to be made that these types of characters are more at home in this type of story, but if they are not interesting, does it even matter? Credit to the movie, though, for some nice varied sets and colors, and even though I have my issues with the writing, there were still some good jokes sprinkled throughout. I think that commenter has some good points. Uh, He or she obviously had the same quarrels that we did with the meta commentary which is the main part of this movie i mean even your imdb trivia is like the play within a play is a reference to this play within the play and then richard attenborough was in a play that had this play and played this guy you know it's like okay like right for what purpose so yeah yeah again like i said at the top it's just it's the most average movie i've ever seen well, you know what else is average? Our listenership. So if you guys could recommend this <laughs> podcast, maybe not this episode, to a friend, <laughs> that would really help us out. Also, leave us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars only. Let us know what you're thinking of the pod. Also, reach out to us. Get involved in the conversation. Tell us what you thought of this movie if you went to go see it. Tell us what you thought of Woman King if you went to go see it, even though we didn't. And let us know what you think of the episode. We are at Wild Dream Pod. That's on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Thank you for owning your truth. Thank you for speaking up. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the dick. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the dick. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the dick. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the dick. All right, I'm ready to go get that Dairy Queen Blizzard.